Hey friends, thank you so much for tuning in to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm Kristen Carey, and I am really eager to introduce you guys to Matthew and Joanna Rabsmith. You guys, thank you so much for being with me on the Living Truth Podcast today. It's great to be here. We're super excited. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. You guys, Matthew and Joanna are my colleagues who work with couples and one-on-one with individuals struggling with unwanted sexual behavior and betrayed partners. They are well-respected in this realm of, especially among Christian workers who are trying to help people get free from these struggles and find healing and hope. Um, So Matthew is a coach and Joanna is a licensed counselor. They work individually with people and together with people. I think it's so powerful for people seeking help to get help from counselors and coaches who have their own story, because you understand in a way that somebody who's a professional, but hasn't gone through this does just doesn't understand. They may understand intellectually, but they haven't experienced it. So I think it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And then also powerful in your creation of resources, because you really know on a heart level, what people need. So, okay. So for everybody who's listening, um, The intimacy pyramid is something that we will link to it in our podcast notes so you can actually have the visual. But as you're driving or making dinner or whatever you're doing while you're listening to this episode, Matthew and Joanna are going to describe the intimacy pyramid. um, What are the components of it? um, Why is it in the order that it's in? (laughs) And we'll go from there. Yeah. You know, the intimacy pyramid was created because we really wanted something to give to people that was a roadmap for how to build the type of unity that God talks about in scripture. You know, that if you really look at the call of God on God's people in relationships, it's this unity. It's it's being able to be unified, to be one. And we see that in, in God's conversations around marriage, you know, that, that two become one, but also in conversations around the church, that this, this very different body full of all these different parts melds itself together in one, and it really needs to stay unified. And so what we really wanted to think about was how do we help people find that kind of unity in their relationships, in their marriages, and specifically when that unity has really been just destroyed yeah. by the effects of betrayal and by the effects of, of sexual infidelity and for lies. And so what what is what things need to happen to, to really kind of reclaim or restore the type of unity that God desired and designed for that relationship? And so that's kind of where this model came from. And it, you know, and we really started by saying, well, What's done the most damage to this relationship in terms of breaking apart this unity has been the lies, Mm -hmm. has been the dishonesty. The fact that this relationship didn't have honesty as a part of it is why it is in the place we're in. So before we go anywhere, we've got to deal with that first. And so the foundation of the pyramid is honesty. We know that relationship- Let me ask you, Matthew, this is important because what you just said is that the- the biggest piece of damage is is the 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 lies, the deception, yeah. not the sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. And this is very interesting and not something I think, especially people who have the unwanted sexual behavior, typically think the worst thing 
the thing that will end my marriage, destroy it is my infidelity or my porn addiction. If she knew she would never stay, that is not generally the case. So really what destroys the relationship is the dishonesty. Yeah, that's powerful. And that's really come from our work with partners. You know, that's what partners have told us over and over. It was the lying. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that I entered into a marriage or a relationship and I didn't have all the information. I didn't know about his past or I didn't know about what the other person was doing. And it's, you know, what we want to be really clear, the, the, the sexual infidelity, you know, choosing to, to go outside of my marriage is adultery. And that is just as, you know, it is damaging, but it's, and it's also a lie, right? Mm -hmm. Because most people, when, when they come together in that wedding ceremony, they're committing to fidelity together, right? So, so the only way that sexual acting out would also be a part of that dishonesty, not just the hiding, would be if on that wedding day, he said, oh, and I'm, I'm not promising to be faithful to you, but yes, I want to get married. Right. And so just that, that sexual acting out is also part of the dishonesty. And so I think it's included even in that level. When we say the the lack of honesty, the broken trust, Mm -hmm. that's certainly that behavior is a part of that. And when that dishonesty is there, the relationship really can go nowhere because you are living in, in this kind of constant fantasy or you're jumping back and forth between what is the real reality? And this is what partners will talk about is that, you know, what was my life before? I have these memories of good times and of, and of, of positive experiences, but now they're, they're somewhat poisoned or tainted now by all these things that are getting added into our story that wasn't a part. And so as long as that continues in really any way, what a lot of people I don't think understand is that, you know, honesty has to be across the board. You know, so many people will go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop lying about my pornography use. Um, but they'll be hiding money. Uh, they won't talk about some of the choices that they make or commitments that they make with their partner. You know, they'll do anything to avoid a conflict, which is just more lying. And so part of what we really try to get couples to see is, no, it, this is all about honesty now. And yes, honesty is difficult. It creates complex conversations where you're going to have to figure some things out. But without that honesty, your relationship will go nowhere towards that unity. Yeah. And we really hopefully help couples understand honesty so much more than maybe they originally thought it was, right? It's not just about not telling lies or even not hiding and deceiving. It's really learning to live in a really authentic and transparent way that a lot of us just don't. Um, It's really easy to hide in relationships. And so being able to say, you're going to have a really deep level of self-awareness and healthy assertiveness in relationship to be a really fully honest person and transparent person. And so kind of helping people understand, well, what does that look like? How does that look different? How do we do relationship different if we're both showing up really authentic with each other? Hopefully that changes a a whole lot about how that relationship looks and feels already from that first step. Absolutely. So that foundation of this intimacy pyramid is honesty. And then what is built on upon that as the next layers, as you go up towards the pinnacle of the So once we have honesty established in the relationship and we we have something to kind of work from, then what we'll talk about is the next key is to build safety 
in the relationship. Um, you can't have a safe relationship if there's dishonesty. It won't, it won't work. You know, you're going to be stuck in this place of, of always feeling unsafe. And so once you do have honesty, though, there are components to safety that have to be considered. Um, you know, once, you know, once someone is willing to go outside of a relationship to do, you know, to kind of um, to, to either be selfish or to take choices to be destructive, that really erodes the sense of safety in the relationship. So that safety has to be rebuilt. Um, the relationship has to prove that, you know, we can count on our partner to show up consistently in a healthy way for the good of the relationship. If I, if I can't do that, then I'm, I'm not really going to be moving forward towards getting closer to them. I'm going to keep a distance. And that usually includes things like really clear expectations and boundaries. It looks like um, being really reliable, you know, doing what you say you're going to do, having your actions and your words match up with each other, and then being regulated, right? Being in control of your own emotions, that kind of self-awareness of what you're feeling, and then that empowerment to, to make healthy choices, no matter what's going on internally, that I'm going to be able to make choices that are, are for our relationship and healthy for my partner. Yeah. Mm. That's and awesome. I don't think, yeah. And I don't think we can probably, there's not enough that we say, I think about emotional regulation because it is, you know, for the guys that I work with, um, one of the things that I help them to see is that these acting out choices, these problematic sexual behaviors, you know, whatever it is really across the spectrum, um, they are, they are emotional choices, not sexual choices. They are, they are reactivities to emotional pain. And we just choose the conduit of which we're trying to soothe those things. And that can be alcohol, that can be sex, that can also be work. Um, that can be, you know, TVs or screens, anything to kind of escape the pain I'm in rather than dealing with the pain I'm in so that I can show up consistent. And so, so much of creating safety in the relationship is learning to kind of use that awareness that we've adopted in that, in that phase of honesty, becoming aware of what's going on with me so I can be authentic. But then, okay, now that I know what I'm feeling, what do I do with it? How do I keep from, as Paul says, doing the things I hate? You know, how do I keep myself from stepping back into these patterns that have been so destructive my whole life? And so I have to learn how to deal with my emotions. That's really where freedom from addiction comes. Um, a lot of people think if I can just stop this behavior, if I can just, you know, if I can get enough, you know, um, boundaries or, or safeguards up, and I'll just never go back into that space. But the truth is, is that I'm, I might not step into that destructive space specifically, but I'll probably just choose another destructive space. It's this kind of destructive relationship whack-a-mole, you know? And so we see so many couples get stuck in this phase because there's been some significant behavioral change, but the pattern is still the same. You know, the couple still gets locked into this kind of engagement where they're triggering off of each other and unable to really slow things down, to deal with their emotions and to deal with the actual relationship issues really productively. Mm. And then you can't have safety if you're not able to do all of that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when safety has been taken away, mm -hmm. because part of restoration mm -hmm. means addressing 
the pain that was caused by, by my actions. Mm -hmm. So part of being safe is that I take responsibility for the impact of my actions, which means the, the pain and the trauma that people have had to go through because of my choices. Mm -hmm. So that means I'm going to have to learn how to be present and healthy for someone who is recovering from trauma. Um, that's not easy. You know, um, therapists and coaches and pastors spend years training how to be present with traumatic, you know, trauma, people who've been, you know, had trauma experiences. And so the, you know, in a lot of ways, we're really asking that of people who have betrayed their spouses to say, okay, we need you to show up responsibly as this person heals, mm -hmm. which means you can handle your emotions when they're maybe struggling to because of the triggers and the PTSD symptoms that come from betrayal trauma that are going to make it really difficult and are going to make you want to run like you used to run. Now we've got to teach you how to, to stay present. And for the partners I work with, self-regulation is all about empowerment, right? For so many of them, they put the locus of control of their safety externally. They, they put that in someone else in the relationship and their spouse. And so it's helping them figure out, okay, how do I find my grounding and my security in something that's going to be more stable? Right. And so, and, and that's really something that's empowering to them because then their healing journey isn't dependent on their spouse's recovery anymore, yeah. <laughs> which is so freeing. And what that actually lets them do usually is show up and advocate for their safety in a better way. It's, they're able to hold those boundaries more firmly. That's going to protect them and their family from further harm. They're going to find their voice. They're going to be able to use it authentically and, and in really effective ways. And so that's part of my, my favorite part working with partners is helping them through that. Yeah. I think one of our frustrations when we got into this work was that couples recovery kind of either felt like it was just separate, like it just existed in two different spheres and it, you know, they never really actually engaged or it was adversarial. It was, it was betrayer versus betrayed and no recovery should be adversarial. It should never be about me hurting you to feel better. It really should be about, Hey, we're going to have to decide how we want to show up yeah. in this reality, mm -hmm. including the reality in which I have betrayed you. I have, I have brought destruction to our relationship. We still then get to decide, well, how do we show up with this? We, we can't change the past in terms of, of what we've done, but we can change how we show up in the present. And so what we really wanted to do was to create a system that, that wasn't about two parallel tracks, just hoping that one day there are, there are better people that may find each other, you know, attractive again and likable again, but also something that wasn't pitting one against the other, yeah. you know, that wasn't this kind of like, okay, now it's your turn to be the abuser you know, your turn to be the victim. And, and so this emotional regulation really allows for that, allows for both people to show up to care for themselves and to care for the relationship. Mm. Which then the next level on top of safety is trust. Yes. When you can do that with each other, you can start to build trust. 
So yes. why don't you guys go more into that? The Absolutely. trust piece. Yeah. So that's, that's where it starts getting a little more fun, right? You start really feeling that glimmer of hope of like, oh yes, we are getting to a really positive place in relationship. There will be a, a time when I'm able to trust again. I'm able to feel secure. Right. And so that's sometimes the, the hardest step is from safety into that trust because there's always an element of risk. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Because no one is ever 100% safe. And so being able to, to walk through and understand, okay, what are the signs that I can, I can really point to that my relationship is now honest, it is now safe. And, and can I hold on to those things as I start to take that first step into trust, right? Um, and that's really, you know, that takes a lot of courage. <laughs> that's that first ability to take that step into to trust. And it's also where it starts to feel a lot more cooperative, a lot more balanced, right? It's less of this is your work to do and my work to do, but now it's our work as a couple, right? It's a lot more cooperative. It's a lot more figuring out what do we want our usness to be, to look like? How do we function well together as a team? It's that place where we're able to move into this kind of committed place where, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that we're both doing things for our relationship, for each other. And so we're going to commit to doing this work. And, and that security of that commitment is going to help us push through those times when we feel like we're getting stuck again. Yeah. And it's really... This is a is such an, a, a wonderful phase because to me, this is really the phase that we see the gospel represented in this idea of reconciliation. It's this, it's this acknowledgement that we've married a sinner and we're still married to someone who is imperfect. Um, and we have to be realistic about that. But we're basing our trust now on a firm foundation. Mm-hmm. We're not basing our trust on the fact that, ooh, I, I like being with you. We both like the same movies or, you know, we have really cute kids. We're, we're basing our trust on the fact that you have shown up as an honest, authentic person, but you've also shown up as a safe, regulated, consistent person. Well, then of course I can trust you. Now, what we recognize is that in betrayal relationships, that trust is different. You know, my, you know, our trust is still built on some things that weren't there prior to Joanna's discovery of my betrayal. Um, we, we still acknowledge, um, you know, the recovery work that I'm doing personally. We, we talk about the, the safeguards and the structures that we have in place that still protect our family and protect our choices. And so that trust is really, it, it, it sits on that foundation. And that's really what makes it, it so much more, I think, enjoyable and, and for both parties. I know I am trusted because of how I'm showing up. And that helps me in my sense of self, you know, that, that I'm capable of being a trustworthy man, um, that Joanna's trust is built on, on not just my words, but my actions. Um, we also see this phase as a phase of a really important kind of the ritualization of forgiveness. Um, there, there, there is something about being able to kind of name forgiveness and name restoration. And I think that um, you know, as Christians, forgiveness is such a, a, a difficult thing. It's that, you know, it's really hard to understand. There's all these different references into it in the Bible that, that aren't really, really clear. But one of the things that is clear is forgiveness is key. Mm-hmm. 
a willingness to forgive in relationships. And this trust phase is oftentimes when we are guiding couples to kind of name that forgiveness, to really proclaim it and to say, yes, there is something different about this relationship. It doesn't mean that that the past is forgotten, um, but it no longer has a hold on our present the way it did in some of those earlier phases. Yeah. And this is really like Joanna said, it's a it's a risky choice. It's a it's a choice that that people will have to make to say I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to step back in to a to a space with someone who's proven willing to hurt me, but now I'm doing it based on who they've shown up to be, yeah. who they who they have have really presented themselves over a nice period of time. And now we get to proclaim we're in a different place and then build from there. And it's a good place to really distinguish along the way what your role is in kind of building relational trust. Your role is always to be trustworthy, not to be trusted, right? And so um, for a lot of betrayers, they want to be trusted. (laughs) And so they will pressure their spouse to move forward more quickly than they're ready, or they'll get discouraged if their recovery work isn't getting them the response they want, right? Because they made it their job to be trusted. (laughs) And so we say like, nope, that's not your control. All you're in control of is learning to show up as trustworthy. That's the individual's role. And when you have two people showing up that way, guess what? You have trust in your relationship because you'll be able to trust each other. And so sometimes that's helpful to to distinguish for people. Yeah. And we also find that couples sometimes get to this phase and there's some elements from previous work that still need to be addressed. And what's great is that the trust phase lets us know what those spaces are. We have a lot of couples who've been in recovery who reach out to us after a few years and they're like, glad we're not in that chaos and we're not where we want to be. And we say, great, well, let's take a look at the relationship. Let's take a look at your recovery journey and let's maybe see what's missing. Does, does everything feel authentic and honest? Is there, is there, is there still things that you have questions about? If so, there's probably some work we need to do to just secure that kind of foundation. Or is it maybe there's something in safety? You know, does it feel like you you can't talk about hard things? Um, You know, okay, well, there's probably a safety issue in the relationship. And if we can address that issue, we're probably addressing the things that are preventing us from kind of living and kind of leaning in more fully to that trust. And, And what's great is, This happens with regular couples all the time. You know, things happen in our relationship, life changes. We start to maybe kind of pull away and we got to go, okay, why is it? What's going on? Um, Do I not know my partner anymore or do I not trust my partner as much in terms of their reactions? What do we want to do about that? How do we want to deal with that as a couple? And so it's fun to see couples kind of returning to some of the earlier phases and and kind of shoring them up, even if they've done a lot of work already. Absolutely. Mm. That's awesome. And that leads to the next phase, which is vulnerability. Yes. Can you guys unpack that? Absolutely. So vulnerability is, you know, there's so much out there about vulnerability now, um, but we like to talk about it as empathetic, empowering, and expressive. And so this is where you just start to dive really deep into that um, emotional side of the relationship, um, being able to show up and really sit with each other in those really vulnerable emotions and be a safe person for the other. Um, and so that really looks like both that empathy. I can sit with you in your pain. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to run away from it. I don't have to control it. Right. 
I can, I can be a supportive presence so you know you're not alone. Um, I can be vulnerable and express that own kind of broken place in myself, right, without fear, with openness and authenticity. Um, and then I'm also going to be empowering of the other person. We're not going to be fighting for control, fighting for power anymore. It's not going to be a competition, right? It's going to be this really balanced where we can really lean into each other and, and that trust, right? And, and kind of be able to put our weight on each other, choosing that vulnerability, right? It's not this um, kind of exposed vulnerability where I, I feel weak or I need you, but rather this, this choosing of vulnerability together because I know I have a strong supportive other and we can be there for each other. So this really kind of balanced vulnerability is what we're looking for. Yeah. And vulnerability can never be demanded and it can never come from a sense of obligation. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the yeah. scriptures talk about submit to one another, mm-hmm. but it is, it is my responsibility to make that choice. It's not someone else's responsibility to demand that of me. Yeah. And it's amazing how many relationships expect this submission without any trust. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's no honesty or there's very little of it. There's almost no safety. There's very little trust. And then there's this expect, expectation of submission or vulnerability. And that's just not how it works. That's not how I think God calls us to that either. God is calling us to to submit to one another based on what we've built together. And that should be this deep abiding trust. This is what then allows me to really kind of give up that sense of control and to stop talking about, you know, my needs that people love to say, you know, are what I want and really about what is God calling us to? What is it that we want? What is our relationship need? Um, And it's, it's really, when you get into this space, it it is so life-giving because you know what we know is that when we're in these kind of relationships and we can be vulnerable this is when such true healing occurs the the pains that have been with us for most of our life are held until we can find those places that we really get to expose them we really get to unravel them and we get to talk about you know what it was like to grow up in an alcoholic family you know, what it was like to, to face prejudice, what it was like to, to be bullied, you know, what those torments of, of our development really look like and how we've really held on to them because we're just not sure that we can trust anyone to see us through the kind of healing of those things. And so what we love is that couples who've been able to really restore truth create this space of healing, really some of the deeper wounds that have been there for both of them all along. And, and and like Joanna said, this is when the relationship starts to get really fun. It it really, you really start to find both a personal freedom and a couple's freedom, you know, and it's, it's, it is risky work. We get, you know, the, the risks get higher as we move, you know, we think about elevation, you know, when we're climbing that mountain and that elevation starts to go up, there's further to fall. And so we have to really be sure about how we've built things, yeah. you know, and, and how things have gone up into this point. Mm-hmm. But as we get to those upper elevations, oh, the view is amazing. You know, we get to see things we couldn't see you know, these couples that show up in our office on that first day and we're like, just, just wait, I, I, I promise you, you're going to, you're going to look out and you're going to see things you never thought you'd see. Um, but right now you can't imagine that because all you see is this mountain yeah. and that's okay. 
you know, um, but when you get there, yeah, let's reflect and let's, let's, let's celebrate that view. And this is, this is a phase where we get to hear just some really amazing stories from the couples that we work with. And, and sometimes these couples have moved on into their own journey. You know, they're doing a lot of this work themselves. They've really created a safe relationship to kind of go deeper. And it's just, it's so fun to see that happening. That's awesome. And then that leads to the top of the pyramid, yeah. which is intimacy. And a lot of people in the world think of intimacy as sex. Yeah. You are not referring to just sex. Sexual intimacy is one of many pieces of intimacy. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so unpack that whole top of the pyramid for us. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times the other forms of intimacy come first. And then that sexual intimacy piece is last for a lot of couples, especially when they're rebuilding after sexual betrayal, Um, because you really want that that emotional, spiritual safety in place first before you move into that kind of physical vulnerability piece. Um, But I like how you talked about the the view of the mountaintop. You know, I was just working with a couple recently and we're starting kind of at the bottom, but talking about purpose. Like, and I think it's so important to be able to have a little vision of like purpose, especially in the beginning of like, well, why are we even doing this? Why are we sticking together and trying to work through this? Right. And I think the intimacy pyramid a little bit provides a little vision of purpose for those couples of like, okay, we can kind of have a vision of what we're looking, you know, working towards. Um, But when I was talking with them, I said, but as you go through that journey, it's going to change so dramatically as you move up that pyramid, by the time you get up to the top, your vision of what your purpose as a couple is, is going to be radically different and changed because of that journey. And so that's one of the pieces of intimacy is this purpose. You know, God has called us together for a unique reason. It's not just about my purpose individually or your purpose individually, but when we have that secure, healthy connection, that kind of real oneness and unity that God calls us to, this almost third thing is created, this usness. Um, and so there's a, a purpose for that in the world. And so starting to vision, starting to feel that sense of calling almost together as a couple for what that will be is a huge part of this intimacy. It's not just almost about us anymore that kind of turning towards each other, but it's how are we going to bless the world because of that? And intimacy is about this kind of consistent expression of passion. You know, as Joanna said, this usness, this third thing that we create, you know, I think one of the things that, that we both feel is like we have this deep abiding affection for each other. We just, we love each other. We love who we are, but what we really love the most is who we are together. We love the Rab's mess, you know, we, we love what we've created in our marriage and, and we are passionate about it. We are passionate about our relationship and about how we make that relationship stronger and healthier, how we secure it to weather the things that the world will want to throw at it. Um, because what we know is that when that, when that relationship is thriving, we're thriving, we are, are feeling, and, and we are getting everything that we need on this earth. It's, you know, that is the way that God blesses us through marriage. And so, and so this passion for our relationship is, is what keeps us working on it, you know, and we go back and go, okay, what's, what's there, you know, we've got little children right now, um, which means that we have to learn how to have a different marriage. The three hour intellectual conversations that we used to have in grad school over 
over mac and cheese are done. You know, uh, there's still mac and cheese, but now it's a, a 10 minute conversation. And, you know, with the child, the mac and cheese you know, is being thrown on the floor. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, and so how do we, how do we still, how do we still build passion? How do we still per, kind of pursue each other and, and really enjoy all the work, you know, yeah. the, you know, we, we did this for a reason, mm-hmm. you know? And so when, when we were first together, one of the things that frustrated us is we, we talked to couples who've been married a long time and they sounded miserable, <laughs> you know, and they would say things like, well, you're so happy now, but just give just it a couple wait. of years. <laughs> and we were like, these were Christians, you know, this was at like church wedding, con- you know, marriage conferences. And we were like, this seems odd, like that you would stay together to be this unhappy and, and it would feel weird that would God would design marriage and have, and have such a vision for marriage for it to ruin people's lives. And, you know, and so we thought maybe that's not the way. Now it took us a while to figure out what that vision was. It took us, you know, going through things that we really probably preferred we wouldn't have to go through. But as we found it, we said, yeah, this is it. This is what all this work has been for. And this is what makes us excited every time a couple calls us. Because we think, hey, we, we have the opportunity to show them and to help them along the way to something that they are going to, to absolutely love. Something that has purpose, something that has passion, but also something that's really fun. Yeah. And so that's the last piece of intimacy is playful. Um, There's a lot of really great research on how important play is to human survival and thriving. And that's for relationships too. It's what fosters connection and empathy and all these amazing things relationally. And this was probably one of the the last pieces in place for us in our own relationship. Um, I think early on and even after a while into recovery, we used to be very playful playful when we first met. Um, But I had this kind of sense of like, this is something we've lost that we can't get back because of the pain we've been through. We just kind of are going to have this little bit of a cloud or seriousness over us for the rest of our life. Um, And it was really even in developing the intimacy pyramid that kind of came to light of like, no, that I don't want to settle for that. (laughs) We're not going to settle for that. (laughs) And this is such a a huge part of who we are and we don't want to lose that. And so figuring out, okay, how do you develop that back into your relationship? How do you embrace that kind of purposelessness of just enjoyment of being together and being in the moment? Um, And so one of our dates recently, we didn't have a lot planned because have three little kids. And so it's a miracle to just get out of the house. And we went to a vintage clothing store and each bought an outfit for each other and put it on and went about the rest of our date. <laughs> that is adorable. So many comments from people who loved them and it was just super fun and silly. And um, yeah, so it's been really exciting finding that piece again. One of the couples that I work with saw us out on that date and said, I, I, I saw you dressed strangely. <laughs> Wait, what were you guys wearing? Like, are we talking like... Oh, Joanna had like this like 70s flower like dress. And I had like a bolo shirt and like tight jeans. and everything. Got the shoes to go with it. You know. Gosh, you guys, that is awesome. And it was, it was so much fun. And it, and it just reminded us of, of, of what we love about us, but also what we love, you know, God says like, 
you're like a child be be embrace that joy and that optimism and that humor and the ability to to just have fun and so yeah we so much of recovery seems very serious and it is these are these are deep wounds and these are deep pains but like we said if if that's the rest of our life it, it feels like I signed up for the wrong class you know and so to to know that God really desires a balance for us one that is about one that is advancing the kingdom and is healing and reconciling and setting the oppressed free, but is also inviting them into jubilee, you know, this joy and this, in this in enjoyment of the life that we get to live and, and being playful and, and silly along the way. That's so beautiful, you guys. So as you look at this whole intimacy pyramid and you were talking about safeguarding and building your own relationship, what are some of the key points that you have in place in your relationship to continue to both work on yourselves individually and as a couple Mm -hmm. along these lines? I think we, um, we continue to check in with each other. Um, it's a little bit less structured than it was when we first started. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that we, we will talk to couples about is early on in recovery, there's usually a lot of structure, there's less freedom. Um, and that's because you need to make sure that the kind of the, there, there's that safety and that structure kind of helps with that. As we've moved further along this journey, our check-ins are less structured, but they're, they're still consistent. Yeah. Um, we, we talk a lot about our experiences. We, we want to know how the other person is experiencing everything that we're yeah. going through. And so um, our choices that we're making, how we're raising our kids, mm-hmm. you know, what we do for, for free time, our, you know, our budget. It's not just like, okay, what are we going to do about it? But yeah. how does this feel? You know, is, 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 is this an experience that we feel like is worth having and, and worth kind of continuing. And so that, that check-in process, I think Mm -hmm. is really, really important for us. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that kind of self-awareness of what, how am I experiencing it? What are the emotions that are going on inside of me around this? And being able to share that with your, your partner is so important. Um, It may sound kind of cheesy, like, and how does that make you feel? Right. But we are kind of constantly doing that with each other because that helps us connect emotionally. And, you know, we don't have that 30 minutes or an hour to set aside every day to make sure we're connecting because of our life and the craziness. So we do it along the way. We're constantly doing that with each other to make sure we maintain that safe connection because what that then does, that secure attachment says, okay, when we do get off and we do get disconnected, my brain doesn't jump straight to the negative and just sit there and go, See, he's not safe. This isn't going to work. This marriage is going to be a failure. Why did I do this? I'm out of here, right? It was amazing how fast our brains can go to that place. Um, And so when we maintain that secure connection in that moment, when our brain starts going there, I'm able to go, wait, that's not reality, right? This is a moment of pain and I know how to regulate that pain. And so that would be the second thing we do self-regulation. And so we actually have a tool called the four steps that we use individually and together to walk through that regulation. So when we get in our emotional pain, when we get disconnected, those four steps help us take responsibility, regulate, and show up in a healthy way for my partner. And I think I see another podcast episode. Where we have to talk about that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fantastic. That is probably the, the biggest key of our relational recovery, actually. Uh, we're, yeah. we're talking about it in an upcoming conference. 
um, because it is so, so vital to creating that safety and that connection and maintaining it the, the rest of your relationship. That's something we will use our entire relationship as something we're using in parenting. It's something we will teach our kids. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty key for us. Yeah. I think another thing that we, we do is we consistently restore, um, when there is a, when there is a break in the relationship, you know, yeah. um, Joanna is still married to a sinner. And so I will make mistakes. I will choose my old self and I will show up in ways that are destructive for our relationship. And for me to, to, to ignore that is really continuing to do more damage. And so we both now consistently take responsibility for our actions. You know, when we say something that is hurtful or, or we are, um, we, we pull away from a difficult conversation rather than leaning in, we will come back and we will, we will talk about it and we will do something to kind of, um, to, to move the relationship forward. You know, one of the realities of behavioral change is that it actually includes relapse. You know, when I'm trying to grow, I will still make mistakes along the way. The goal is that my mistakes further down the road are less frequent and less destructive. Mm -hmm. And then I address those mistakes right away. You know, we, Joanna had to wait years, both in my line but even in our recovery, it really, it took me a couple of years before I chose to, to, to make some of the emotional decisions to be present for her pain. Mm. And so, and so she had to wait for that. And, and so we try at this point in our relationship to not make each other wait for that anymore, um, to, to go to each other and to say, Hey, you know, I, I, I know how I showed up in that last conversation and that's not me fighting for our marriage. It's not me honoring you. I want to name that. And I want to, and I want to show you that I can show up differently right now. And what's great is that we have, we have very little baggage that's just kind of sitting out there that we're, we're, we know we're going to have to deal with at some point, because that's what most couples do. They, they set this stuff aside and think, well, you know, it's not that bad. You know, they just kind of called me stupid. It's fine. You know? And then, and then two months down the road, it's like, oh, now we're going to deal with that and <laughs> everything fine. that's happened in that two months. And so and meanwhile, tons of resentment has built exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. We're not dealing with it. And 100%. so, and so I think that's helped us significantly. And that's that assertiveness part, right? Down in honesty, that ability to be assertive when something hurts me and be able to work through that and repair in the moment. Right. And so you can realize, okay, when you don't have two assertive people, they're holding on to things, building up resentment. Well, that's not a safe relationship. Right. Uh, And so learning how to to be more assertive in a healthy way together. Yeah. And then finally, we really do have fun. Um, We we try to be we try to to be consistent in our time together without kids. Um, we try to get away from our kids as much as we love them. They're amazing. Um, if they're listening one day, we really do love them, but we also know that our marriage and its health is one way we love our kids. And so we work on our marriage weekly, um, by having dates, by, by doing the kind of things that we enjoy. We're adventuresome people. So we like to do new things. And that's something that we really try to engage. Um, but we also, we, you know, we, we work on our, on ourselves and our relationship consistently. And so yeah. that has really helped us to kind of maintain uh, a connection during a really disconnecting time. You know, everybody, when we tell them we have a, a you know, a six, four and three-year-old, they go, oh, wow, you're, you're in the, you're in the thick of it. 
Um, and so we know that this is probably one of the hardest seasons of our marriage. Um, and, and we recognize that. And so we do everything we can to kind of work on that together and to really honor that. And I think that it's not perfect. You know, we we make mistakes, um, and, and re and have to recalibrate as a couple. And so, um, but, but we are, we're consistent in our kind of pursuit of the kind of life we enjoy. Um, you know, and so, um, we're, we're always looking for that, like, okay, what, what's, what, what's better out there, um, for us as a couple, for our family, so that we, we get to really look back on this last month, this last year and be really grateful for that. That's amazing. You guys, what a joy to hear your story and to, and to receive so much hope from you about what can happen for a couple when they do their work individually and together, when they build this honesty and then safety and then trust, vulnerability and intimacy. And I really think this is going to inspire our listeners to want to go all the way to the top of that mountain. So thank you guys so so much with me today. Um, For our listeners, you guys, if this episode or any of these episodes of the Living Truth Podcast has encouraged you, helped you, given you insight, would you take a few moments to just rate the podcast and or write a review? Um, This helps other people see the Living Truth Podcast and have the opportunity to get exposed to the content that we're providing for you. So I hope this episode has been helpful for you. And until the next one, I'm holding out hope for you. 